gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is our third week in a row talking about Marvel. We are all Marvel. We might have to rename this show. This is episode 259. Thank you for joining us. Last week, we talked about Venom, Let There Be Carnage. I think the podcast was Carnage. Um, and then the week before that, we talked about what if, and today we are talking about the latest foray into the MCU Eternals and warning, just so everybody knows this is a spoiler heavy episode. Come on. If you've heard this podcast before, you know, the drill, we talk about everything, but at least we warn you, at least we're kind enough to warn you. We tell you that we're going to do it. Uh, we, we don't necessarily have to you know, surprise you and shock you on social media. So don't worry, there's no big reveals. But yes, we'll be talking about everything in Eternals. Uh, Joining us today here on the show is a repeat offender here on the Hall of Justice. Uh, We're going back to the well. Way back in episode 150 of this podcast, uh, I was up at my alma mater, the great uh, Syracuse University, and I met Dr. Kendall Phillips who was teaching a class. He was teaching a class on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And all I said was, how the hell do I get to take that class, let alone know the teacher? That was where I wanted to go. So I had him on to talk about how do you teach a class on the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And then what we did was we did one of the most technological experiments, episode 158, where we actually interviewed his whole class. We got like six microphones and we spread them around the classroom. And this is all pre-COVID, man, because you couldn't pull any (laughs) of this up now. (laughs) But we interviewed the entire class on their take. So it was like the, 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 not millennial, it was the the Gen Y, you know, idea of what the MCU was. So those were episodes 150 and 158. Kendall Phillips rejoins the podcast to talk Eternals. The first of all, welcome back. It's been it's been nice. It's been wonderful. How much have you missed the podcast? How much of a void has this been in your life? It's a, been a huge void. And Seth, you still haven't turned in your final paper for the Marvel class. No. I'm a little concerned whether you're going to pass or not. But no, it's great to be back and lovely to talk Marvel with one of my favorite people, Seth Everett. So thanks. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, we're, we'll start with this this movie. Um, you know, I feel like we're starting this movie talking about. Uh, Black Widow and Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings. This is this phase four. And Marvel went out there and just reached. But the, the weird part about it is, you know, Infinity War and Endgame were such fan service. And what Disney Plus has done is given you the fan service. So What's the best thing that's happened in the last 18 months in Marvel? It's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's WandaVision. For those of you who love Loki, it's Loki. It, it's those things. To meet Shang-Chi and to meet now Icarus is something I never thought I wanted and I didn't know I needed. And I'm still not sure it's part of my life. Yeah, I think, you know, the other part is I think the Disney Plus shows have been much more adventurous. I mean, certainly WandaVision is like generically, like in terms of genres, is such a wild ride. I thought Falcon and the Winter Soldier kind of took into different directions. And I love the deep dive into the kind of real political consequences of half the planet disappearing for five years and half the planet coming back. Um, I actually really liked Loki. I thought it was fun and engaging. And then you get to the movies and they don't 
seem to really be pushing a lot of new ground. We're seeing like origin stories that feel very familiar. Now we've got Eternals that feels a bit familiar. I'm, I'm not saying I dislike the movies, but I don't feel the excitement for phase four that I certainly felt in phase three or have felt for the Disney shows. Well, but that's the, the, the thing because people are talking about Chloe Zhao and what a, what a departure it is and what an experiment it is. And that to me is not an experiment. Creating a fake town in New Jersey, that's an experiment. Right. And that's what I didn't understand. And I don't really get um, why Marvel feels this compelled uh, reasoning to expand this universe to this degree. You just purchased the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Now, you don't want to open them up right away? Fine. But you have Captain Marvel 2. You have Black Panther 2. You have Spider-Man, which is coming out in a month. You have Doctor Strange. And, these, and, and the fans have told you how bad they want to see these movies. You know, a poster for Spider-Man has been trending on social media for three days. And yet you're going here. And what the parallel that doesn't seem to exist is when James Gunn introduced the Guardians of the Galaxy, because that was a one-off. Right. This is Shang-Chi. It's a backstory of Black Widow that no one needed. It's now this group of heroes, and they're all over the place. And I, I just... I, I, the, 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 the problem with plausibility I had is when the boyfriend of um, uh, what's her name? What's Cersei? Um, yeah. Cersei thank you. When, when the boyfriend of Cersei says, why didn't you help with Thanos? And so, well, we were free. Forbidden. <laughs> oh, you were forbidden. But the little CGI monsters, that's what you're here for. But Thanos, you can't do anything about. Well, and I, I kept wondering, did half the Eternals die when Thanos snapped? Did half the Celestials disappear when Thanos snapped? Like, I, it raised a lot of questions. But to me, the, the issue, there are two issues with the, the reboot films. I'll let Black Widow be its thing, like, fine. Everybody wanted her to have a film. She had it. I didn't have a problem with it. But for Shang-Chi and for Eternals, this is supposedly the launch of a next phase. It didn't really create a coherent launch. Like I know there's a little tag at the end of Shang-Chi about something signal yeah, in the Wong, universe. Wong gets him to come pay attention to what Dr. Strange is doing. What, whatever that's doing, not quite sure. Eternals introduces the Celestials, fine. Doesn't cohere. But the other thing for me that's been a problem, and I think it is also a problem in Loki, is that what I'll call the cosmic inflation. Right? We, we spent 10 years with the Infinity Stones and then in Loki, those are dropped in a drawer like, oh, these are garbage. Now we have Celestials. Like at what level do we get to the maximum power, right? You know, and next it's gonna be Galactus, it's gonna be Kang. And you get to a power level where then you look at traditional heroes like Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Spider-Man, and it becomes hard to imagine what place they have in a world where Eternals are battling Galactus or Thor is battling Kang. I mean, it just becomes very hard to see that cohering into something like we had in the first decade. All right. In the film, um, I mean, the plot is very simple. There are these uh, Celestials and these Eternals come 7,000 years ago. Um, I know that one of your things is the timeline because they jump from like the past to the present, the past to the present. But before we get to that, um, I want to talk about the diversity aspect because with Shang-Chi, I was very, uh, I wanted to know what a Chinese American was. With Black Panther, I wanted to know what an African American thought of it. Um, in this, I don't understand how aliens come to the land 7,000 years ago and have accents from countries that haven't been created yet. Selma Hayek has a Latin accent. Cersei, has, you know, uh, um, Chloe, no, not Chloe. What's, what's her name? Uh, get Gemma Chan. Gemma Chan has a British accent. Um, there, there's Indian accents. It, 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 there's no rhyme or reason why these guys speak the way they do. And what is happening in the news is this praise, well, what a diverse cast. And I'm like, what does that have to do with the story? And I don't care if they're purple. It, it, I, don't I, I don't want them all to be white guys. 
but but my point being is give me a story element and if selma hayek is the leader of the eternals can she speak without a latin accent and if she can't give me a reason and here's the analogy gal gadot can't do another accent so what that what what patty jenkins decides is to have all the Amazons have Israeli accents. So it plays in the story. Why does she have this accent? Eternals ignores that. So for something that's touting diversity, you ignore diversity. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think that's part of the problem of beginning the show or spending so much of the movie focused on their arrival on Earth and their ancient adventures. I don't, because if you've met them now, and that's more or less the only time we saw them, the diverse accents might make sense because they scattered thousands of years ago, they go to different parts of the world, they have to speak different languages, so that would make sense over time. But that, to me, it goes back to that back and forth in time. They were always the same characters. There is no development. Like they were, uh, Cersei was good and, and uh, Druig was arrogant and Fastos was kind and sweet. And that was the case 7,000 years ago. 7,000 years of living on earth with humans they are essentially the same characters. So it kind of diminishes their growth as individuals and diminishes that diversity because they came with it as opposed to developing it as global culture develops it naturally. So I, I applaud the casting. I'm glad that we're getting diverse cast. I'm glad we're getting diverse sexuality. I'm thrilled that that's happening, but it could have been a key story element as opposed to just being dropped in and, and not, not discussed at all. It's like checking a box and that feels awkward. I remember in the sports world, Willie Randolph, uh, declined an interview uh, with the Cincinnati Reds because he said, I'm not going to be your token black guy. Those were his words, not mine. And he says, I'm not checking a box for you. And if you want to talk to me, give me a reason. I'll talk to you. But that's not why you were having me in. And I always thought about that. And in this situation, the praise that the mass media, not social media, but the mass media is giving this movie for being so diverse and to have a gay character. Again, there is no relevance to the storyline. And I don't understand. And I want to give credit to another podcast, you know, the NPR uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is a great show. Uh, they did their review of Eternals and they said that Faustus, am I say I'm saying his name right, Faustus, he was severely impacted by Hiroshima. Why Hiroshima? And why in your Marvel world where Thanos exists, suddenly you get historical? Like, so the Marvel universe spews off into fiction when? Because we had Captain America in World War II. And you know, when do these things exist and why and why why did that have such an impact and what their supposition? And again, it's just supposition is that that meant a lot to the director, Chloe Zhao. I guess I'm I can like, see that I, like, for me, like, I, why? What what does that have to do with the story? I get I guess I read it more as his guilt of being essentially the person who pushed technology and technological limits that. The atomic bomb, was, and in fairness, the atomic bomb was the greatest scientific achievement of our lifetime like in terms of like rapid development of something so incredibly massive. And I think he felt responsible. But I think to your point, part of the problem of having a story that spans so many characters and such enormous amount of time is that none of that gets developed. So I would have loved to have spent an enormous amount of time with Fastos and to see how he how he how he dealt with technology and his guilt and how he regained hope in, in humankind and met his husband and got his kid. I would love that story, but I can't get that because now I've got to bounce back to Cersei and Sprite living in London. Now I've got to bounce to Druid living in the in the right. So you end up with such a spin that nothing, everything's there but nothing gets developed. And so it does start to feel like window dressing. It feels like just superficial character. Oh, I feel bad about Hiroshima and I have a husband and I feel bad about this, et cetera. And I've got this accent, but none of that ever gets engaged because the story has to move too fast through too much with too many people. Well, and here's my response. When I heard it, I thought was Hiroshima after Steve Rogers went into the ice. And wouldn't that be something I could know? 
And yeah. they're, they're sitting around this table and they're talking about who's going to lead the Avengers. And I'm like, you're obviously in tune with all of this. Okay, so if you're going to go there, how's this one? Why can't Falcon get a loan? <laughs> Who's Captain Where is America Pepper now? Potts? Where is Pepper Potts Where's with Pepper that Potts and all this? Like, like, if you want to go there, like, where's the timeline for Eternals in that, you're, yes, it's after Endgame, but is it before WandaVision? Is it before Falcon and the Winter Soldier? When are they having that conversation? Why are they so casual about it? Because didn't Falcon in Winter Soldier show you that the repopulation of Earth makes things real damn complicated? And wouldn't that be something the Eternals could handle? Or at least be impacted by. But, you know, again, that, that, I mean, it's always been the problem, I think, both particularly with Marvel and wanting to create, even at the comic book phase and on the early Marvel day, you know, wanting to create an interconnected world where Spider-Man might happen to swing down New York while Thor is fighting, you know, the wrecking crew or something that you end up with that problem. Like, okay, if there really is a global level threat, life is going to be extinguished and Spider-Man has to stop it. Wouldn't that draw the attention of somebody else? But I think the, the one thing I will give Marvel that they have not run into that I think is that really the DC problem is the Superman problem, right? It's the inevitable. Every time I watch a DC movie, I think it doesn't really matter because when things get really bad, Superman is going to solve it. Like he, he just can do everything. Marvel, although I do worry sometimes, again, with that cosmic inflation, at what point do we get a character like a Captain Marvel who's maybe not spread around the universe and really can solve everything? And then again, the stakes get lowered. And particularly for my street level fighters, because I love my Daredevil. I love my Spider-Man. I love my Winter Soldier. I loved Mm -hmm. Captain America. Like I want those people to matter. But when you're dealing with Celestials, it gets hard to imagine how webbing is going to solve that problem. Well, the, the weird part about that is you're absolutely right. This is the, the, the issue with continuity in that, I remember seeing shows that made sense and shows that made no sense. For example, when you watch the flash on the CW, I wasn't wondering where the other heroes are. Like I'm not wondering where Oliver Queen was every time Supergirl's first season. And we're going to do a whole episode because Supergirl's having their series finale uh, this month. And you know, later on in the hall of justice, we're going to do some podcasts about Supergirl. But Supergirl in the first season before Superman was cast, she used to text him. Right. Like, what? <laughs> like, where is he? Hey, Kyle, Agents, what's up? <laughs> right. And in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I thought they failed in this, in that every time they had a dilemma, why were they not calling Iron Man? Like, why, why were you not calling one of these guys? Like, even the low, get Hawkeye in there. And I knew the answer. I, you know, I'm not naive. I know the reasons why. But this idea that the, 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 that the world repopulates and these Eternals are just here living in it, she's teaching art. And, and like, 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 what? I, that, and Selma Hayek lives in South Dakota? Like, why were these things happening? And I, I, I just, the stakes of the villains... And I haven't even gone to my notes yet. This is all I haven't even gone. <laughs> but the stakes of the villains, they're just these CGI monsters. There's and a, and a real missed opportunity, them. right? I mean, I really felt this. So I, I feel like my view of Eternals is I liked it. I appreciated what it did. I think I liked it more than you. But it was the missed opportunities. One of which is this deviant crow begins to absorb their personalities and power and becomes much more conscious and articulate. And there at the end, when actually he and the majority of the Eternals are on the same side, like they want to stop this celestial uh, rebirth from happening. They want to, they don't join forces. They don't connect. There is no, he is still the enemy, other alien creature. He must be defeated as must Icarus be defeated. And so it felt like a real missed opportunity for that moment that we did get, uh, you know, when in Captain Marvel, where the scroll and she kind of like realized, oh wait, we're actually on the same side. In all its effort to be humane and, and have a kind of humanitarian face, in the end, Eternal just becomes another standard superhero team movie where the bad guy, the ugly guy has to be stopped, the world has to be saved and, and nothing really gets developed. You're totally right. Uh, here's, here's my notes. 
it was very good. I had my own row in the movie theater. I've had issues with movie theaters. Um, I don't know what your experience has been like. But... So can I tell you real quick my experience yeah, sure. of Eternals? I made the mistake. So I just wanted to get the time. I wanted 11 a.m. because I had a thing in the afternoon and I wanted to get in when it was quiet. I made the mistake of not paying attention what the theater was. So I ended up in the 4D RPX full motion chair, oh my God. water, air. Um, I spent most of the movie clutching the, the <laughs> arms of the try and, and looking around saying, am I the only person who's like wanting to find the off button for this? I finally found out how to turn the water off because I was having trouble seeing because my glasses were, were misted over. Like it was the worst. I don't know who... And I paid like triple money for this. I yeah, just wasn't, I just wanted the movie at 11. Wow. So um, my that recommendation- not a prerequisite for the Hall of Justice podcast. I just yes, want you yes. to know. I, I thought it had to you be watch a full these movie. things on your phone for all I care. <laughs> for you, I risked life and limb. It was like riding, a, you know, those mechanical bulls back in the 80s. So I, I do not recommend that. Well, my, my stance on movie theaters has been, uh, it's not a, I'm vaccinated. I'm not, it's not a COVID thing. Um, what I stressed in their ads was cleanliness before the Nicole Kidman ad campaign. Like they were all they talked about was how clean these places are. And when I went to see the Suicide Squad, which sucked, um, mm. there was used napkins in oh. the cup holders. And I but again, like I'm not a germ freak, like, but I was like, you stressed cleanliness clean the damn place like i i don't understand that so uh, i went to see carnage in a movie theater and it wasn't awful it was fine and it was the first time i went with a friend because i like to go by myself because i take notes and a buddy of mine wanted to see the movie so i just was like if you'll go in the middle of the day and you don't mind me taking notes i don't i don't like to be the obnoxious guy that's on a, their phone you know they say don't text during the movie but i'm writing notes like that's sure. how you you know you do a podcast like this that's how you do it then eternals i was by myself and there were open loose m&ms in the cup holder ew and i'm like Again, I'm like, first of all, I'm not going in the hood. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going in a real sloppy area. Like, I, I just, I can't understand. Everything is telling me all I want to do is watch these things at home. I don't want to see any of these. I happily paid the $30 to see Black Widow at home. And I saw it over three days. Nice. And I was fine with it. I was totally fine with it. I'm not interested in these movie theaters and I'll go again for Spider-Man. Like I'm going, I'll, I'll, I'll go for Spider-Man, but this movie theater experience has just been so less than, but I do want to note something in my, in my notes at the end of the post credit scene, which was nothing. Yeah. People clapped. Really? So I ask you because you teach a course on this stuff. I ask you, are we just the wrong demographic for this? I do think, you know, I think that is probably partly true, that the first decade was service to us, the kind of, you know, Gen Xer, the, the folks who grew up reading the comic books. And, you know, as I've said, I was a huge fan. And when, when the first idea of, of the X-Men coming on a movie was like the greatest thing ever. And, and then Iron Man came and I said, OK, finally, that's right. Like that, that really, right. and Avengers I loved and still my favorite movie uh, one of my favorite movie experiences because I, I, at the end of that first Avengers movie, I said, that is everything I wanted. Like as, as, as the 12 year old in me said, I'm super mm -hmm. happy. But now I think it is Marvel realizes that to keep that juggernaut going, they have to shift to a different demographic that we are aging out. And so Harry Styles, to be honest, I had to look up who the guy was playing Eros. I thought clearly the young people in my theater reacted and I thought that's somebody, but I had no idea. And even well, after I, I just found noticed his name, young people thought this was really good. Like, oh yeah. And I was just like, really good. Like, again, I'm not hating on it. I just, I expected more. Um, the movie opened with words. And then a big spaceship. Is that an homage? Is that a Chloe Zhao homage to Star Wars? 
has to be right. You don't, you don't get that scrolling. How does Kevin Feige let that happen? Like, I I don't know. I just, that seemed kind of weird. Well, there were even references to Star Wars in, there was a point where uh, Icarus picks up a comic book or a coloring book and it's Star Wars and there are mentions of DC. So clearly they allowed some playfulness uh, in this world. Um, And it was clearly, I think those were the nods to people like us, our generation, but the movie was not for us. Well, I I will uh, reference one of my favorite uh, criticisms of Iron Man 3 because it was after Disney bought Marvel and Tony Stark had a Dora the Explorer watch. Oh, yes. And I'm like, how much would it cost to make that a Mickey Mouse watch? Like you just got bought by Disney. What? What? Why couldn't you have a Mickey Mouse watch? And I'm like, on Disney Plus, is it a Mickey Mouse watch? Like, I, I just, I didn't understand that. Um, they talk, you know, I, I wrote here, they talk about the Avengers like they are fiction. And they reference Batman and Alfred. And you reference Star Wars. And it's the same tone. So I'm not saying that it's not in the same universe. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being that guy. But it just seemed like, like all of these are just little like nods to the fans, like wink, wink. Is that really what it is? Well, I think it may also be an attempt to start fresh because at some point they're going to have to put down the Iron Man helmet and the Captain America shield and relaunch marvel you know dc has had a series of relaunches they've never felt that much continuity pressure and so they can simply rebat new batman new adventure new superman new adventure they can start over marvel is trying this very different experiment to say over what may now be 20 or 30 years can we keep the same universe of continuity but that means at some point those characters including eventually thor and probably eventually dr strange will all have to fade out and be replaced or you got to hit the big button and do a reboot and suddenly you have a different harry styles playing tony stark and you've got you know whoever playing chris or captain america see i'm so associated i, I wanted to call him chris evans right yeah, yeah. Um, i think eternals is that effort to to keep the continuity but to pivot to a different so that the neck you know 10 years from now People like us will be super excited to see the final right, eternal Galactus. Come. Okay. So Galactus comes, but this is where this movie falls flat is that, okay. So Galactic comes in 10 years. Right. And there's this big fight with Galactus. He's the next big bad, right? He's the Thanos for the next 10 years. Okay. Let's just suppose that for the point, the Eternals help there. The only thing I was surprised is that there wasn't an attempt to actually introduce. So at this point, the, the celestial Erishim that seems to be the big bad because he's the one who appears in the sky like Galactus did in the Fantastic Four. And he whisks uh, away our sort of heroic Eternals. But then I, I don't, that doesn't feel like the moment at the end of Avengers where we see Thanos or the moment where Thanos grabs the glove and says, fine, I'll do it myself. I didn't feel a building. So I'm not sure if the next big threat is Galactus. I don't know if it's going to be Kang from the Loki series. I think both would be amazing, but it doesn't feel like anything is building. And I feel like that may be because they want to reset, lay out a new cast of characters and build towards that. And but I people like us go out. I want to give a shout out real quick here on the podcast to a gentleman. I've never met him. I don't know him. Uh, his name is James Blendick. He was Galactus in the Silver Surfer animated series. You want to talk about an intimidating voice actor? Listen to this. To perform your task as my herald, Norrin Rad, you must become far more than merely a man. I bestow upon you a portion of my own power cosmic. You shall absorb boundless strength from the cosmos itself. Needing no food to eat, no water to drink, no air to breathe. You shall be able to transmute the elements and to heal others as well as yourself. Cosmic bolts of awesome power shall be yours to hurl. And neither the frigid cold of the deepest space nor the blazing heat of the brightest star shall harm your shielded body. (laughs) 
most importantly, I shall give you the means to travel faster than the fastest starship, so you may soar to the ends of the universe and beyond. Norenrad exists no more. You are newborn, my herald. Even your mind is a new page on which I shall write. Arise! Galactus is a big bad. like a, 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 And Thanos is in that Silver Surfer show. And he talks to death, Lady Death, all the time. And... Kevin Feige, but this is where they're like Marvel's on their game. Like they knew that Thanos couldn't talk to Lady Death, you know, throughout, and, and it wouldn't be plausible in this movie world. And if this that's is all just a I, bad romance. It would not go that far. Like we'd all say, like, dude, get over it. <laughs> right. Like move on. Like what? What? What's? What's your? What's your deal here? Like what? What's the point? You know, I. I you know, it, it. It's. It's funny. They are. They are putting themselves in this position where ultimately it just it, it just seems incomplete. And if Eternals is just a chapter in a book, this is what we've always said about all these movies is that they're just chapters in this massive Marvel book. Is this a chapter that it's not reviled and I don't hate it. I just don't understand. Well, and I think, you know, you and I were talking earlier about this. To me, the, the key word here for Eternals is earned. Um, Avengers was earned, right? We, we got to watch these origin stories. We had, and it also had that kind of pre-existing knowledge. Like most people who knew comic books knew something about Captain America, Iron Man. So as that developed over the films to get to that first Avengers film, when we got there, it felt like they had earned our love, our commitment. I was willing to go where the story went. Eternals pops in, ready-made, pre-existing, bouncing back and forth across time. I never get a chance to know any character to care that much. I mean, I think Cersei is kind of our emotional tie, but I don't feel like I spent enough time with her to really care. And so we end up with a story that doesn't feel earned. And if this is the anchor beginning for the next big development of the Marvel Universe, I think they've got to go back and earn it because at this point, I'm not that excited about Eternals 2. Um, there's no big bad. I don't care that the Black Knight is going to appear. Like that, that's that's arcane deep dive, even for me, who's a serious Marvel fan. Like if we're seriously gonna think that Kit Harrington as the Black Knight is exciting, um, maybe Harry Styles is exciting, but I guarantee all those kids whooping and, and hollering have no idea who Thanos' brother is or what his role was in the Marvel uh, comics. So I feel like they're just... I don't know if they're coasting or they're expecting that the stars and the casting will, will carry the load, but I don't feel the, the narrative weight has been earned for me at least. Okay. A um, couple of compliments for the movie. Cause I never, I always start with the negative. <laughs> it's too bad. Uh, the flying scenes for Icarus much better than Henry Cavill. No, looked great. Like, looked great. Like, forceful, but, but majestic. Um, doesn't look like he's on wires by any stretch, but it looks like he can do things while he's there as opposed to, like, pummeling through and breaking the speed of sound. Um, I and I'll just say, I love when those kinds of effects look absolutely effortless. Like, I feel like right. flying should just, if you fly, you should just, and he was ab absolutely that, just lifting Fantastic. off the ground or swooping or everything just looked like he did this every day. This was not a surprising, marvelous thing. So yeah, the, 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 the effects and the acting were perfect in that, in that way. To that end, the final fight scene, which I've been reading a lot of criticism about, the final fight scene is better than when Clark comes back to life in Justice League, either Justice League, Zack Snyder or Joss Whedon, that scene seems vicious. This seems superheroes. Like when like they're the fighting point. Icarus, I thought this, I wanted this to be what the Justice League was. Like I wanted that scene, like the way they were teaming up 
and 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 Angelina Jolie's involved and like all of this stuff. And I just thought, wow, like technically she put that together. Chloe Zhao did really, really well. No, and I will say my shout out to that scene was the moment where Fastos has Icarus down, uh, you know, he's being held by these electronic uh, bracelets or whatever, holding him down. And he says, I've been waiting for years to clip your wings. That felt so much to me like Dark Knight Returns where Batman holds up Superman and says, I want you to remember this. It just felt, you could see all those thousands of years of family resentment all in that one moment. So to me, that was a big win uh, for the kind of dramatic arc of those characters. Um, Sprite, your thoughts. I, I was disappointed. I, I that was you know very very emo, very emo. I mean, if you're trapped in a teenage body, does that mean you don't actually mature over seven thousand years? I feel like you know at some point you would actually um, become. I can see her resentment. I get that. I felt like the character was a bit uh, the betrayal at the end. Uh, although it's interesting, you know, I, I, I not to plug the book, but I, I recently uh, had a book come out called A Cinema of Hopelessness, and there's a chapter on Marvel. Wait, and one of the points I'm making the book, what are you talking about? All right. So I have a book out called the cinema of hopelessness. Um, the last chapter is on Marvel. And one of the things I try to point out in the book is how often betrayal is at the heart of particularly betrayal by fathers. So you think about like Odin betraying Thor in Ragnarok, where he's never told him about his sister and all those things that happen. T'Challa is betrayed by his father in, uh, in uh, um, Black Panther. Um, Star-Lord is betrayed by his father, which I think actually has a tie-in to Eternals, but it is never kind of talked about. And so again, we get that here where there's multiple betrayals within Eternals, the first of which is by their father, the Celestial who has lied to them and betrayed them, and then internally all this kind of betrayal. And so I thought that was a kind of key conceit of the film that really did tie it in but I didn't feel that it was that earned. And I thought the kind of throwaway line of she's always loved Icarus felt forced. I didn't, you know, again, it didn't get developed. Yeah. I, uh, the, the idea of like you, you spent so much time developing each character. And so what we do is we wind up nitpicking the evolution of these characters. Mad weary, by the way, is what Angelina Jolie's character, Athena, not Athena, because she makes you forget, take the A off, it's Athena, and she's there, and that's not a thing for just Eternals. People can get that too, right? And it's, it's as the result of an unsuccessful mind wipe. Yeah, so she's carrying those memories, where's which Charles again, I think Xavier? is... Where, where, yeah, where's, where's the X-Men? You know, it is funny, it's interesting how much a lot of Eternals did feel like X-Men. That, that they were almost like mapping characters on. So when I watched Gilgamesh, and I actually loved Gilgamesh and Thena, I loved the two of them together. I thought there was great chemistry. I would love to watch a whole movie of just the two of them uh, involved in wacky adventures. Uh, but when I saw him on screen, I thought that's Colossus, right? That just felt like he, the way he fought, the way he acted. Um, and certainly, you know, our speedster Makari is very much like Quicksilver. So I felt like mm. a lot of those powers, Druig and Professor X, so there's a lot of crossover um, but yeah, so the, the, the question of carrying all that guilt and what that means of having wiped out countless worlds over multiple iterations of the celestial rebirth. And yet that's a fascinating concept that just doesn't ever get moved forward. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only thing I else that I wrote in the thing my, 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 we, we mentioned uh, in my notes is why are the Eternals highly evolved, but the deviants are just simple monsters. It's a great question. And like I said before, you know, for me, the opportunity for there to be some moment, especially as, as the, the main uh, uh, deviant starts to gain language and words and, and clearly has a consciousness and, and has thoughts about what all has happened, that there's never any development of that. Like of, of all the Marvel villains, I feel like the deviants get the least opportunity. You know, at least, I mean, Thanos gets a lot of chance to make his case. Um, Killmonger gets a lot of chance to make, even Ultron gets a chance to kind of make the case for, for their point of view. And yet the deviants get a few moments of speech at the end, and then it just falls into fighting and chaos. And so whatever the moral of the story was, I'm not sure it gets carried through to the end. Are these characters now suddenly characters I, I, I want to hear? And again, we talk about demographics and maybe this podcast, the demographic is not for this movie, I got my kid a Happy Meal. And there was an 
They had a, a Selma Hayek. Oh. Um, uh, this is the, the Selma Hayek uh, little toy uh, little person there. Um, and nice. A Ajax, that's that's her name. Ajax. Yep, Ajax. Yep. And 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 then I'm thinking to myself, like, is that does does a young kid gonna dress up for a like Ajax for Halloween? Does like is that where this movie's going? I, I don't know. And I, you can't use box office numbers to to judge. You know, Shang Chi had five million dollars more its opening weekend. That's not the barometer. We're in a post COVID world. You're we're not comparing these. I just I just feel like what they are is they're 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 little singles and Marvel usually hits doubles and triples and once in a while hits it out of the park. It does feel like small ball as much as that's hard to say for a, a mammoth a juggernaut movie that cost right. hundreds of millions of dollars to make and has a big sprawling cast. For me again, I guess we got used to the idea that Marvel films work together towards something bigger. I'm not sure that that's the part of the next phase. We may eventually get there, but again, for me, this it's almost as if they've gone back to that first Iron Man, that first Thor, that first Captain America of saying, okay, we're, we're gonna deal the cards. We're putting the cards on the table and they expect us to trust them and probably with their casting and some other choices are really shifting their focus not to old timers like us who are still holding yeah, the comic maybe. books and saying, but wait a minute. Uh, no, but, but I'm not asking generation. for it to be the comic books. Like Iron Man, when they added the Middle East element to Iron to Robert to Tony Stark's initial kidnapping, I was like, right on. Like that, that that's what it was. I told you when you were on the first time, um, I very unceremoniously, and I've said this on the podcast dozens of times. Uh, my wife worked for Marvel at the time when Iron Man was being made. And when she came to me and said, they're going to finance their own movie. I said, great. That's, that's wild. Like, you, you know, that's really bold. This is pre Disney. And then when I heard it was going to be Iron Man, this is months before it was Robert Downey. I said, that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. And she's like, why? And I said, have you ever seen, read a great, Iron Man comic book. Have you ever watched an animated show of Iron Man that's amazing? Never. The only time Iron Man was amazing was when he was drunk. The devil and the, de the demon, demon in the bottle. bottle. Was, right. Was that was the storyline. And I said, unless they do that, I, I don't understand. And then what they did was they, but they paid, they had great reverence to the original source material, yet modernized it brilliantly. Which is why, you know, when uh, the Mandarin is an out alcoholic actor in Iron Man 3, it pissed me off because you didn't show the same reverence. And this is a theme that we've had. You know, we talked about this last week with, with Venom. Um, you can tell when the filmmaker loves this property. When John Favreau makes The Mandalorian, he is in heaven. When James Gunn makes the Suicide Squad, it's a paycheck. Yeah, you can tell when it's a passion project and they are letting their imagination run wild and, and loving it. And I guess for me, maybe Chloe Zhao, who I think is an amazing director. I love the writer. I love Nomadland. I think she's intensely talented. I admire what she brought to this film, but I don't think, you know, Marvel's had a great run of bringing in people like Favreau or Gunn or Ryan, Ryan Coogler. Coogler, you know, and, and, and letting them bring the imprint and those people have made it their own. Shows, yep. But I think there was probably a little more passion and love. And here I felt like it was someone wanting to bring a human face to the big Marvel cinematic universe and it ended up kind of not quite being either. Again, I liked it, but I think I would have loved it if it had been one of those things. If Chloe Zhao had got a chance to make a film about Cersei living eternally and, and, and whatever, I might have loved that movie. If maybe they'd pick someone to just make a big sprawling space adventure like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I might have loved that. The in-between just feels kind of neither nor, a little lukewarm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It really is. It's wild. Um, again, it's, it's not horrible. It's the same thing with Shang-Chi. Like Shang-Chi was far from horrible. I just don't know that I ever needed it. And, it, it. and I only watched it because of the imprint. 
I like Shang Chi. I guess I probably would have seen it. I probably would have seen Shang Chi because I really like Simu Liu, but because I I am infatuated with Kim's Convenience. That that show is the funniest thing. That that is that's how I go to bed every night these these days, and it's uh, I can't get enough. And my white whale is Paul Hyung Sung Lee, who plays the dad in Kim's Convenience. He plays yeah, yeah. Appa, but he's also in The Mandalorian. Sure. And he hosts a Star Wars YouTube show. If there was ever a human being made for this podcast, it is Paul Sung, Hung Sung Lee. We need to make that happen. I, I mean, I would say I like Shang-Chi. Followed me back on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm hey. this close. I'm this close. One step at a time. Now, I liked Shang-Chi. I thought it was a good origin story. It felt a lot like other origin stories. Um, I, I thought it was fine. I was, again, at the end, I was expecting it to be a bridge. I was expecting the end of it to say, aha, this is where we're going. And when it wasn't that, but again, I think the same thing with Eternals, it may be that my expectations as a person who grew up in the comics and in fairness, as people who grew up as adults during the rise of Marvel, we may have come to expect things that the next generation doesn't. They may not be looking for the big arc that leads to Infinity War or whatever the next big, you know, massive crossover event. They may be perfectly happy just to see new characters doing new things. And it's all about expectation. Right. You're, 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 you're completely right. Um, okay. You mentioned the book. Read, re, give us the title of the book and tell us about you've inherited a podcast. Yeah, so I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm just trying to be you, Seth. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to muscle in on the Marvel Universe. So I have a, a book called A Cinema of Hopelessness, The Rhetoric of Rage in 20th Century Popular Culture. Uh, that that ask, at, is that something that you decide to write or is that something that someone asks you to write? Like your, 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 your pedigree is such that, you know, I understand why you're qualified to do that. But how does a book like that come about? It was really my idea. And I started seeing what I thought were trends across first horror films. Uh, So a lot of films were about how evil the world, that that the system is evil, the government's evil, all this kind of dystopian corruption. Then I saw Joker and I thought, wow, that really Joker seems to be like, to me, I'd still say if there's one film that stands for the first 20 years of the 21st century, I think it's Joker. Because it's all that rage and frustration and fury and feeling yeah, remember ignored. We had this fight. We had this fight. We had this fight. So, I'm, but but I feel like whether you like wow. it or not, Joker You're back on tapped. this podcast. Wow. <laughs> but Joker tapped into that, and I think that's what I don't think people just went because they thought it was going to be a Batman movie. Because then they wouldn't have gone after the first weekend. They went and they went back globally. They went because it touched something. Then, of course, the biggest trend of the last. 20 years has been, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, if you look at the 21st century, that's been the biggest juggernaut in terms of pop culture. And so for me, I wanted to say, what is the kind of darker emotional dimensions of Marvel that's about heroes and saving the day? And I Mm. really felt that up to Infinity War, and that's kind of where the book stops is that moment at the end where Thanos is happy and, and he's won. It's all those senses of betrayal, of failure, of grief, of loss. And those are really palpable in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in ways that were not in previous. I think that's actually part of what has made Marvel so successful is that you feel all those darker emotions balance out the happiness and light that maybe we saw in in the earlier. That's very Um, cool. So that's the book. And then the podcast, please uh, come join me. I have inherited the amazing Joe Lee's uh, podcast, Pop Life, that's produced at WAER through National Public Radio. Uh, and on Pop Life University at Syracuse University. I mean, it's really nice of Joe to name a podcast after uh, off a of a 1980s Prince hit. It's very nice of him. It was very nice of him to let me uh, have the show. So Joe uh, has moved on to greener pastures uh, and has left the show in my incompetent hands. Uh, but on Pop Life, we are covering 
the full range of pop culture. We've had episodes on uh, the new trends in horror. We've had a great episode recently on non-fungible tokens and how that's changing collecting. We've got a great episode coming up on the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. Uh, and so we try to span pop culture with a kind of deeper look. I always say we're trying to pop the hood on pop life and pop culture and get down and see what's driving the engine of our popular life. That's fantastic. And uh, social media, you're, uh, how, how do people find you? You, you have can a find cool me. social media handle. You, you're like one of those guys who doesn't use his name. You know, I probably would have, but there were already all the Kendall Phillips, Kendall Arp, and this, this is <laughs> where you don't want like 15 numbers after your name because yeah, it gets yeah. goofy. So I am at Dark Projections, which is uh, two of my books. One's called Dark Directions. One's called Projected Fears. I put them together. So find me at Dark Projections and you can learn all about my work on horror and film and also a lot about pop life and the podcast. <laughs> Kendall Phillips, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, great, great to, to have you back, even though you like Joker. Um, the movie is Eternals. Go see it in theaters. It'll be on Disney Plus soon. And uh, look, we're in the bag for this stuff. We are Marvel people. We're going to watch all of it. Uh, the last three episodes, What If, Venom, and now Eternals. Uh, I someone get me a, a guy with a cape give me a green lantern podcast or something what can we do gotta, i think there's a 12-step program for you uh so <laughs> yeah we are we are all about the uh, the house of ideas the marvel uh in, in, in all the world all right true believers we'll see you next week with another episode